Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Taku listeners, I am feeling myself today because I am wearing a bold red lip that you cannot see. This is your host, Christina Stathopoulos, and I am joined by the radiant, creative, brilliant, mysterious Mary. And this week, we're jumping back into some shoujos. And I actually want to give Mary a ton of credit for this because somehow I had never heard of this series before, but as soon as she introduced it to me, I was hooked. And it's Kamisama Kiss. So to share a little bit about it, Kamisama Kiss follows the story of our beloved Nanami, who finds herself in a pickle. Her dad ran away to run away from his debts, and she has no idea where she's going to live. But while she's sitting at the bus stop feeling sorry for herself, a mysterious man tells her that he's going to give her a gift. And after giving her a kiss, she wakes up to find out that this man was a god of a shrine, and he has bestowed his godliness to her. And so she awakens to find out that she is now the young god of a shrine, that she has some cute little minions that want to tell her what to do, and that most notably, she now has a shikigami by the name of Tomoe. And Tomoe, uh, hottest love interest number one, Uh, ends up being the catalyst to both supporting her and at times sabotaging her in taking on her godly duties seriously. Um, Mary, I'm so pumped to be finally talking about this series. Anything else you want to add here? I mean that it's the cutest anime ever. And if you like spirit enemies and fox spirits and demons, this is definitely something you should check out. It's full of romance and just a lot of um, cute, feel-good times. But on that note, I want to introduce our coaching topic, which is around promises. And when we think about the word promise, even now, just take a moment to see how you're reacting to it. What's your relationship to the word promise? How do you feel about it? What are your thoughts about it? What's your experiences with promises? Do you avoid them? Run away from them? Make them? Expect other people to keep their promises? And in this series, we're going to relate to how different characters in in this anime relate to promises. Anything else you want to add to that, Christina? Yeah, I think just that, um, first of all, I was gesturing that as soon as I heard promises, the first place I went was Pinky's. Pinky promise. But I think the other thing is to connect promises as a coaching concept. You know, as coaches, we're always looking at how do we move our clients to what they want. And so like someone's relationship to a promise is a cool place to look because it has you realizing where you may be unwilling to promise to yourself what your goals are for the future. So if you're someone who takes promises super seriously, you might not declare what you want because you don't know how to make it happen. Or as on the flip side, if you're someone who makes promises flippantly 
and then breaks them all the time, you might be getting in the way of your goals because you're not taking them seriously, even though you say you want them. So promises are a huge part of coaching, and they're also a huge part of the series, which is why I'm really excited to go into all different characters and their relationships to promises. So let's start with uh, Nanami, who I think has probably one of the healthiest relationships to promise in this series. Because when Nanami uh, becomes the god of the temple, she actually takes her godly duties very seriously and she wants to learn. And at the same time, you see that she's also a high school student and she wants to keep her promise to her commitments as well, you know, with high school, with studying, with her education. So you see her like juggling both and oftentimes relying on the support of the people around her, the spirits around her, I should say, to kind of um, make sure that she's, she's taking responsibility for all of it, which is really cool. Yes. And something else that I want to mention is one thing I notice for myself in the world is when I surround myself with people that relate to promises the same way that I do, it helps me be better at fulfilling my promises. And so I think what's really sweet about Nanami is she's one of those characters that because she is devoted and because she cares and because she does take fulfilling her duties seriously, even if she doesn't always know how, you see that relationship to promise become almost infectious. And so one of the places that I want to exemplify this is probably the purest promise in the entire series, which is uh, Himemiko of the Swamp. And so Himemiko is like a, a fish spirit. Like she's the queen of her universe, but she's this really awkward looking fish character. And she comes to the shrine because when she was younger, she helped a small human boy. And the boy professed his love to her as a result. And so she wants the chance to meet him again and get to fall in love with him and get to have a relationship with him. And the desire there is so sweet that it immediately triggers Nanami's like, I have to help this person. And you see the two feed off of each other. Like the more dutiful Nanami is in finding Kotaro, this boy that Himemiko loves, the more that Himamiko believes in hope and is willing to hold the promise of love as more important than some of her duties as being a part of the swamp. And I think it's important, Christina, that we point out that it's not an easy choice for Himamiko to say, I want to pursue a relationship with a human or to tell him that I like him because four spirits in this world, they commit to one person for a very long time and their lifetimes are for a very long time like centuries and so her saying that I like this person understanding that he's human and has a shorter lifespan and that they're different that they're very different actually she has to put all of that aside and still say I still want to tell him so getting help from Nanami is actually a really brave and courageous thing and I guess what's beautiful here is that that promise that relationship to promise that she has uh, kind of enables her to kind of not be attached to the end result and how it's going to go, but just say in this moment, this is what's true for me. And this is what I need to pursue. Hmm. This is what's true for me. And this is what I need to pursue. That's such a powerful statement. And what's really funny about it is such a pure relationship to promise could not be more hysterically contrasted by the other lead role of this series. 
And so Tomoe, uh, comparatively, as I mentioned, he's the uh, the Shinigami who, or the Shikigami, or I'm messing it up. He's one of those two, but he is in charge of protecting Nanami and protecting the shrine. And whereas Nanami is pure to her promises, Tomoe avoids the crap of the, the crap out of them because he just sees them as a trap. And in some ways he's right about that because in order to be bound to his like to be bound to his duties, he is in a contract. Like his promise to Nanami and his promise to the shrine has trapped him in a way and has bound him to this place. And so you see that he has a an interestingly disempowered relationship to promise because to him, fulfilling on a promise means relinquishing or giving up your freedom. I think what's also interesting about Tomoe is that, and this is a spoiler alert, is that when we look at Tomoe's past, we know that he at some point in a very distant past fell in love with a human woman who he couldn't be in a relationship with. And as a result, he ended up being really heartbroken and lost. And so he has this actual experience of having loved and lost that kind of makes them push anything related to humans aside in a way to such a degree that he actually um, has the god of of the temple, not Nanami, but the actual god, erase his memory so that he can actually live in some normal way. So his relationship to promise is, is yes, like one, it's the being bound, but it's also like not wanting to feel to an extent, which is really interesting, especially when we compare it to Himamiko, who's very similar, but whose intentions and whose purity just keep her going in a different way. Yeah. And I have to say that I think Tomoe is one of the characters that has a very transformational experience with what promises. Because the other thing that you learn in the series is part of the reason why he becomes a Shikigami in the first place to Mikage, who was the original god of the shrine, is because, spoiler alert here, Mikage is able to keep Tomoe alive this way. Because Tomoe is so heartbroken and so devastated that he's literally inflicted a curse on his body that he should die from his heartbreak. And so in some ways, what I realized about Tomoe when I learned this is like promise is a life or death situation. And he's bound to it and he's, he's forced into it. And so something that fascinates me about the series is at one point, Nanami breaks her pact with Tomoe because it's the only way to have him have the most access to his power and they're in a very dangerous situation and he needs it. And so you see him run off. He's like, I'm free. I don't need to deal with this crap anymore. But interestingly enough, when he's given the choice again, like when the promise becomes a choice rather than a life or death necessity, what we see is that Tomoe goes back to Nanami. and personally that's one of the sweetest moments in the series for me because it's one of the few times where you see Tomoe really acknowledging what Nanami means to him. I think there's something really cool about Tomoe's journey where we can watch him process the choice. Like Himamiko was clear from the start but she also didn't have the experience that Tomoe did. But now we can see as Tomoe struggles with his own feelings with what he wants and what that looks like. 
And then he gets to a point where he gets to choose again and then does, he opts in. And then it becomes an empowered choice from him rather than, than saying, oh, I, I had to, I was bound to, I had nothing else. And that really is a game changer for the rest of the series and for their relationship. But Christine, I'm, in, I'm interested. There are so many other characters in this series that have really cool relationships to promise. What are, what's another one that you thought, wow, this one is really cool and interesting to watch? Yeah, so um, first of all, while Mary and I were preparing notes for the series, it dawned on me belatedly that I think Kamisama Kiss could arguably be categorized as a reverse harem anime. <laughs> because the majority of the other yukai or spirit demons that introduce themselves happen to also be men and happen to also have uh, varying levels of subtle feelings for Nanami. So <laughs> I just like, I don't know, for any of our listeners out there that knows the series, I want your take on this. Is Kamisama Kiss officially a reverse harem anime or is it strictly shoujo? What's your hot take on that? But going back to some of these other male characters that I'm mentioning here, one of the characters whose relationship to Promise I think is was the most heartbreaking for me to watch is Mizuki's. And so Mizuki is a snake demon, snake demon spirit, and he's so sweet. Like he's precious. He has these wide eyes and this snow white hair. And when we are first introduced to him, he just seems so pure. And what you learn about Mizuki is that he was the Shikigami of a very small god. And in fact, her shrine was so small and so poorly visited that she disappeared and she doesn't exist anymore. And Mizuki, in that heartbreak, relates to his promise to her as absolute. And you actually see him become devastatedly obsessive over it. Like at one point, he kidnaps Nanami and brings her to his old shrine to try and have her take the place of his old god. Because for him, their pact, like his promise to keep the shrine beautiful, is a way to also honor her memory and keep her alive. And so while that's really beautiful and devotional, in a lot of ways, it sadly exemplifies that like our power to promise, even when we keep them, we can also keep them from a disempowered place. And so I just like want to wrap Mizuki up in a blanket and like hug him and tell him it's going to be okay, because it was just so hard to see how badly he wanted to be able to like recreate the experience of his God still being there with him. Oh, Mizuki. And it's interesting, Christina, because when we first were when we're first introduced to him, we're kind of seduced by that gentle aura that he has. But then you're like, why is he kidnapping her? And why does he want to keep her? And that's really weird. And sort of out of character. And who wants to be around people like that was what went through my head. And then it's like, oh, he, this is how he's relating to this thing. That's actually keeping people from seeing him as he really is or from even thinking like, I have a different choice here. I can create something different with other people. And so it's Nanami who gives him a way out and we see that their relationship evolves. And then we're present to this really wise, gentle spirit who becomes like Nanami's best friend in a way, you know, who's full of love and, and kindness. 
and who's always, you know, this is a person that will always have your back. And it's beautiful to watch that transformation for him. Went from like this super attached way of being with promise, like he had a hardcore grip on it and wouldn't let it go. So then letting go and saying, oh, it's okay. It's actually all right. And I can be this different, beautiful thing. Create this beautiful relationship in a different way. Uh, I'm melting as you're describing him, which actually brings me to a non-coaching point, Mary. If this is in fact a reverse harem anime, do you think that the girl got the right guy? And regardless, which guy would you have wanted and why? There's a reason I love this show, Christina. I'm all about the reverse harems. It's just all about it. Fantasy, the romance, adventure, all here. But I digress. I think another, and like to talk about other characters, I think there's another character that I think is really interesting in this conversation, and that's um, Kurama. I believe I'm saying his name right. And he's like a, he's a crow. And he goes to the same high school that Nanami goes to. And he's really interested and committed to his music. I feel like he has a promise to his music. And then, uh, but when it comes to his own tribe, to his own spirit tribe, there's really a disconnect there for him. What do you think, Christina? Yeah, something that fascinates me about uh, Kurama is he's a great example of when there's tension between promises that we have to ourselves and promises that we may have to others. Because what you learn at one point is they visit the Tengu tribe, like they visit the crow spirits. And you learn that Kurama is from this tribe. And that part of the reason that he's run away from it is because he doesn't entirely agree with the leadership style there. But at the same time, many of the tribe members there still view him as a leader and view him as someone that could have very easily, capably been leading them. And so what's fascinating about Kurama is I always have the question for him, like if I could coach him, whether choosing music was truly a promise of passion for himself or choosing music was an escape from the promise of what he could actually be. And I think what's interesting is you never really get full resolution with that plot point. And so I'm going to say that Karama is still around and totally coachable and he should hire me because I'd love to take him up on challenging that. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think if I were to coach any of these characters, I'd stick with Muzuki. I just love his, all. Of, I just love the gentleness and I think there's so much wisdom that he could, def- I see him as being a guru character. I definitely love to work with him and just access to his own inner power and strength. And you think on the, on the topic of promises, there's one other character that we haven't talked about, and that's the actual god of the temple, <laughs> who I think made a promise to be the god, and then he just kind of disappears, and nobody sees him or knows where he is. He's just like, yeah, I'll be back, but, you know, indefinite timeline here. So when I look at him and his relationship to promise, I think that's interesting because there's, I believe there's an intention. Like, I really think that he made the choice to leave the temple in service of Tomoe, in service of the temple itself, and said, I need to make this choice now. But it's such an interesting thing because he also made a promise to be the god of this place, and then he just kind of poofs and vanishes. Yeah, and I think Mikage shirking his responsibilities is also a great reminder that you don't have to be perfect all the time to get what you want out of life. 
Because what we see about Mikage's selfishness is that it sets this amazing love story in motion. It sets Nanami's growth in motion. We have no idea what would have ever happened to Mizuki if Nanami didn't come across the shrine. It actually sends out powerful intentions. And so one way that I like to think about promises and being our word is that they're not absolute. Like it's not, do you keep your promises or do you not keep them? But it's actually a question of how intentional you are with what you keep and how often are you keeping them? Yes. And on that note, I think for ourselves, it's important to ask ourselves these questions and look at where we're being, we're actually actively keeping a promise and where it's empowered and where we've disempowered it and are just acting because we said we would or just hiding from it. So take a look for yourselves and let us know. Yeah. And, you know, it's still pretty early in 2021. So one of my questions that I have for all of you is what are the promises that you've made for this year? And based on how your current relationships to promise normally go, what's predictable about how those will go? And what's something that you could put in place right now to disrupt what's usual? Is it an accountability group, a coaching group, a coach? calling your best friend and having them hold you to it, joining a gym, like really take a look at what's going to serve you. Because I think my final thought on Kamisama Kiss is whether or not this was the likely uh, cast of characters that were meant to come together, ultimately they do come together and they become community. And I think as much as sometimes they fight or bicker, the way that they get along when it really counts is what has each and all of them fulfilling on the goals that they have. Yeah. So if you love this episode, love coming summer kiss and have, you want us to have a different conversation around it, let us know. If you have other suggestions around animes that are similar that you love or reverse harems, let us know because I'm definitely up for that. I know Christina would be too. And yeah, looking forward to this new year. And if you need an accountability buddy and you need a coach and you want to have a conversation experience of it for yourself, please set us up. We're happy to give you a session and see how, what you think of it. Yes. And even if you're not interested in coaching, you can let us know that you're still interested in us and our amazing podcast by following us on Instagram, leaving us reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and sending us emails and DMs of what shows you'd like us to cover next. Thanks for listening. And until next time. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye now. Thank you for watching Coach Taku. If you liked this episode, please share it and consider subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Taku Pod, C-O-H-C-H-T-A-C-U-P-O-D, or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host? In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at herextinaroar on Instagram. And you can follow Mary at raven5130 on Instagram. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.